A couple of quick things before we uh, jump into the sermon. Um, first, in your family news bulletin, there are a couple of uh, really exciting things going on. Tonight we have the drive-in, um, which I love. I'm sorry, I just love those drive-ins. Bring my little red truck over here. and um, It should be, uh, see all the excitement behind me? It's, in, it's incredible. You're going to miss it if you uh, don't come. Um, tonight, uh, the drive-in starts at, I think, 8.30. Is Lisa there? I think that's right. And, uh, and you can, you know, bring your truck, bring some chairs. We're, we're going to provide the popcorn and everything. And, um, should be a, it should be a blast. We're going to watch Tangled. Invite friends, neighbors, whatever. Just, it just, it's a great time of fellowship and just relaxing and enjoying ourselves. If for some reason it's raining, I don't think it will be. I think it's clearing out uh, later today. It should be nice and, uh, bring that humidity down. I think temperature, the cold front is moving in. So it'll be a perfect night for an outdoor movie. If it's not, we'll go inside in the youth area and we have the screens in there and it's air conditioned. So it'll be great. So either way, we're gonna have a blast tonight. So come on out tonight. Um, end of the summer bash, August 26th, one to four after the service, we'll go out there, uh, the Coob's house. There's a, there's a, a sand volleyball court. We're bringing some of those inflatables, um, there's a soccer field. Uh, they have, they're, they're, they've got a pool. I don't think it's going to be done by then, so we're not going to probably have the pool available to us. But just a lot of exciting things. Plenty of property to run around. A great is a, a swing set, a swing area to play on for the kids. There'll be things to do for everyone. Face painting, you name it. We've really turned this from a picnic into an end of summer bash. So make sure you mark this on your calendars. Come that. I think everybody brings a little bit of. We, we're bringing the uh, the main dish, and you guys bring some side dishes. Uh, and desserts and things like that. And then uh, last but not least, on August the 9th, 10th, and 11th, um, there's going to be something called Some Enchanted Evening here, 9th, 10th, and 11th. Tickets will be on sale out in the foyer. You can get them online. Try to get them this morning, though, because I don't think it's, uh, you know, I, I think we can take as many as we have for tickets, but for seats available up front around the tables, it's just going to be a great night of music. There's going to be some, uh, some dance, you know, some dancing as well, some bigger numbers, solos, duets, things like that. And if, you, if you've ever gone to a production... Okay, that Grace Hart has put together. Um, these are some incredibly talented people. So this is going to be a great night. Make sure, great time for like a, a, just an out with, uh, time out with your wife or your husband. Um, make sure you get your ticket um, to do that. I think that's all the announcements that we have. Please remember your, your giving. Um, just want to encourage you that uh, last month was probably, not probably, it was the biggest giving July month of our church's history, which says a lot about where we are as a church right now. Um, still, still a little challenged, a little tight because of uh, so many things that came up and, and uh, things continue to come up, but things that we have to, con- to do to enhance the, the campus that we have here. But God has truly been blessing us. Um, if we continue to give, I think we can keep moving forward with some of the things that we need to do on the campus. Uh, David Mead will be coming here and he's our pastor of student ministry. So he'll be coming from Arizona in probably two and a half, three weeks. He'll be here by the end of August, hopefully, uh, if everything goes smoothly. We'll be hiring um, some staff under him for the youth ministry. And um, we've hired some folks for the children's ministry. So God has truly been blessing us. And I'm excited about September, but man, we're not even there yet. We have so much going on in August. It's a great opportunity to bring your friends, though, and, and just reach out uh, to those who maybe have never been to church before. These are non-threatening uh, kind of ways to invite people. All right, now, this morning, we're finishing our series, When Life Doesn't Go Your Way. And we'll be reading from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. So, 
If you have your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. We'll have it up on the screen as well. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 15 through 19. Starting in verse 15. You trample the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud... And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will I will be joyful in God, my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Now, this morning, the baptismal is out here because we. We uh, baptized someone this morning and uh, baptism. It's, it's a perfect time to baptize someone this morning because of what we're going to be talking about. Baptize, baptism is an outward expression of our faith. You're expressing your faith in Jesus Christ. And that is so important for us this morning, because as you'll learn uh, throughout the morning, faith is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. Faith, our faith, our ability to, to, to love God with all of our hearts through the difficult times is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. It can change individual people. Faith can change a person. It can change a community. It can change a nation. It can change the world. Faith, true faith. And we're going to talk about that this morning with Habakkuk. So let's, let's finish out Habakkuk's journey here this morning. In verse 15, Habakkuk's comparing God's control over the nation with God's control over over creation, with God's power over creation. God is a God who controls all things. And God has the control of the nations, as we found out in the first two chapters, where, you know, Habakkuk's crying out to God. He's saying, God, you you need to do something here. Judah is, is falling apart spiritually. You need to intervene. We need to bring about revival in the country. And so he's crying out to God. He's complaining. He's questioning God. And then God responds and says, yes, I'm going to do something about it. I'm bringing the Babylonians in and they're going to judge my people for the way they behave. And Habakkuk says, well, wait a second. Wait a second. I don't understand this. The Babylonians are worse than we are. Why are you bringing the Babylonians? And he goes through all of this. He goes through all of this, uh, this, this challenge in his mind. But God, God, he says, is the God of, of, of the nations. A God who comes, he's the God of all creation. He has power over creation. Because he created everything, he controls the nations like he churns the water of the sea. Now, when he talks about churning the water of the sea, in Hebrew, that is a, the churning of the water is a metaphor for the, for, the, for the political turmoil of the nations, the ungodly nations that are surrounding God's people. That's the metaphor that he's using here. Like the waves of the sea threaten to to basically uh, destroy the shoreline or, or crush the shoreline, so the ungodly nations around God's people threaten to crush them. That's what Habakkuk is laying out here. You see, what we need to understand is that we live in a fallen world. 
If we understand this theologically, it's going to help us so much with answering some of the questions that we have, the why questions. We live in a fallen world. We have a sinful nature. David said, surely I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We have a sinful nature. And because our world is fallen, nations are capable of incredible atrocities against one another. We saw that in Hitler's Germany, where they, where they were doing things to others that were just beyond your imagination. You remember learning about that in school. The pictures that we saw, you said, how can one human being do this to another human being? Well, the reason is that we live in a fallen world. We have a sinful nature. And unless Jesus Christ comes into our lives, unless Jesus Christ comes into our hearts, unless the Holy Spirit works from the inside out, we are capable of some of the most incredible atrocities. But as we follow Christ and try to become more like him, the new nature that we receive as we ask Christ into our lives changes us and battles against that old nature, that old sinful nature, and we become changed men and women. But so, so we've kind of, Habakkuk's laying this out, and he's showing you know, that God is in control, and he's laying out the, the fact that you have these, these ungodly nations that are surrounding his people, ready to pounce. But God is pictured here. God is pictured here as one who will bring ultimate peace, Ultimately, there will be peace. It's important to know the end of the story. I don't know about you when watching the Olympics. Um, I'm the kind of person that sometimes likes to go and see who won. I go online and kind of see who won and then watch it. Because it's so stressful sometimes. It's like, you know, did Michael Phelps, is he going to win? And I'm like, and then I'm serious. And I sit there. If I knew my team was going to win the Super Bowl, I would have so much, it would be so much more enjoyable. I'd enjoy every second of it. When it's close and it's real tight, it makes, I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? Sometimes I'll just let it go because I just want to, you know, I just want the excitement of seeing who's going to win. But, you know, sometimes it's good to kind of get a peek and it's good to know the end of the story. You know, the guy wins the most medals and he came in first and all that kind of stuff. It's good to know the end of the story, my friends. And the end of the story, as, as Habakkuk pictures it, is that God is a God of peace. God will, bring, God will bring peace and stillness by his complete victory over the nations. Ultimately, Habakkuk understands, though he doesn't know exactly how it's going to happen or when, he trusts his God. He understands that God is in control. This concept finds its ultimate fulfillment of God bringing peace and stillness, finds its ultimate fulfillment in the book of Revelation, in chapters 4 and chapter 15, where God's throne is seen as being surrounded by a sea of glass. There's a stillness. There's a calm. God, God, has, God, has, God has overcome. He's subdued the nations. There are, God's people are no longer threatened by the nations that are around him. Ultimately, we will have that peace we will have that joy when Jesus returns. The, the, the sea, the churning sea, all the things that are going on, all the turmoil, it will, be like, it will be like a sea of glass. It will be still. Evil will be subdued. We will no longer be threatened. Sin will no longer be a part of our existence. And Habakkuk knows that. Even in his circumstances, he understands that. And, but here's what's happening. 
I, I keep on asking you, try to put yourself in his place. So you have chapter one where he's complaining and he's arguing. He's laying out his arguments to God. God, Judah, this, and they're acting up this way and their spiritual lives are in the tank and they're setting up altars in your temple. And why aren't you doing something about it? And chapter two, God says, oh, but I am. I'm going to send the Babylonians to take care of this. They're going to judge my people. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're worse than we are. And he goes through that and he's struggling through. And, you know, he's asking the questions like we would all do. He's going through the spiritual journey, if you will. God, I don't understand. I know your character. I know who you are. I know that you're a God who promised our forefathers all these things. So I'm trusting, but I don't understand this, Lord. And he's going through all of this. And then what happens is everything that Habakkuk has, has experienced emotionally up to this point comes out in, in, in these verses, especially verse 16. Everything that he's experienced, all that God has revealed to Habakkuk about his character, all that God has revealed to Habakkuk about his authority seems to, at this point, rest on Habakkuk's heart. You know, it, it's just it, the culmination He gets to this point in chapter 3 and verse 16. Remember what I said last week. Habakkuk would have to wait for God's ultimate fulfillment of his prayer. He knows, Habakkuk completely understands that there are some dark days ahead. And there's no relief in sight. He knows knows the end of the story. He knows the end, you know, not not the details. But he, he knows, he understands God. He knows the end of the story. But for right now, there's no relief inside. He doesn't know if it's going to come in his lifetime. So his heart, he thinks about how God's going to move and what God's going to do and, and the holiness of God. And he's in awe. He's just in awe of God. He's, he's got this, this holy reverence and awe of God. His heart is just overwhelmed with God's power. And in verse 16, it says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Have you ever been so completely overwhelmed with a situation or an event in your life? Or one that you knew was coming? You knew this was going to happen. You knew it was, it was coming and you were you just so overwhelmed by, by, by what you knew what was going to come. And that's what he's facing right now. And when that happens, when we go through that in our lives, sometimes we feel like God has walked away from us. Or we feel like God maybe has, a, we feel like maybe he's abandoned us. But then Habakkuk comes out and says, wait a minute. In, in these verses, he gives us hope. Go back to Jonah. I mean, at the end here, at Jonah, we're, we're com- comparing and contrast these two. At the end, Jonah gives no hope. He ends up bitter and angry and frustrated. God didn't do what he wanted him to do. And so he shakes his fist. The last we see of Jonah, God gets the last word in Jonah. Because Jonah's like, I'm just so, I'm so miserable I could just die. But Habakkuk here in chapter 3, I love it. You've got to read the whole chapter. If you haven't read it by yourself, read the whole chapter for yourself. Habakkuk here in chapter 3 does the opposite. He brings us hope. He brings us, he brings us hope and a great example of faithful endurance. He says this, Yet I will wait patiently. First, let me read the chapter 16 again. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. And then he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He knows again the end of the story. Just doesn't know when that's going to come. 
That's what God promised in chapter 2. And that day came, my friends, 70 years, 70 years later, when Persia conquered Babylon. 70 years later. I don't know about you, but this is where I think Habakkuk is fe- what he's feeling right now, where he gets, he's, you know, my, my legs are trembling, my, you know, my lips, my, um, you know, it's just this overwhelming awe of God that he's dealing with, the, the fear of the Lord. We need to understand something else when it comes to our, our theology. Many times, you know, people will say, you know, here in our culture, well, Jesus doesn't care about this, and Jesus, you know, Jesus never said, and Jesus never said that, and Jesus this, and Jesus was always compassionate to people, prostitutes and tax collectors, and he certainly was. No doubt you've heard me say that, okay? But they're missing something, and maybe we're missing something too when we think about who Jesus Christ is. Did you notice how the people who Jesus showed compassion and mercy and grace to, you notice how they approached him? Did they approach him arrogant and say, I got no problems with my life. Why don't you mind your own dang business? No, they crawled up to him sometimes, wetting his feet with their tears and wiping them dry with their hair. They, they, they came humbly before him. I had an experience in, in Nigeria where we were giving bags of grain to, 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 uh, to widows. And it, was, it broke my heart because what the widows would do in order to get their bag of grain, it was just cultural. It was acceptable that I'm the pastor and I'm the one who is the leader of this group. And, and so, you know, I had status in their minds. My stature was way above theirs. They're widows. They're on the lower end of the totem pole here. And so they would come up and, and the lower you bow down, and the further, the further back your left hand goes on your wrist, the more respect that you have for that person. And these widows were literally, literally on their knees, shaking my hand like this. And it was so uncomfortable for me. I kept on pulling them up. I kept, you know, I was, I was, I just, I just felt so uncomfortable. There was a humility there. There was a brokenness there. They, they, they didn't do anything wrong. They were just showing this humility. When prostitutes and tax collectors and, and lepers were coming to Jesus, they were coming with a, a, a sense of, there was an act of repentance. They know they had done wrong and they were repenting. And so Jesus, in his love and compassion, he, had didn't, he didn't have to make them feel guilty. He wasn't going to remind them of what they did in the past. They had already repented when they came to him. And he said, go and sin no more. Your faith has saved you. People now just think, you know, Jesus is some kind of cream puff. And, you know, he, you know he, anybody can do, you can do whatever you feel like doing in our culture. And, of course, Jesus would never say anything about it because he's just floating around the desert, hovering around the desert with blonde hair behind him or something. Just some wimpy creature who just, you know, wouldn't bother anyone. Except you read your Bible. The same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, just to break it to, 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 to our culture. Okay? The same God. When, when God sent Jonah to Nineveh and said, go and preach to Nineveh. Tell them 40 days, if they don't repent in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Now, they repented, and so God showed mercy, grace, compassion... If they didn't repent, what was going to happen? Oh, he's so mean. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So don't let anybody tell you what Jesus... That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus was like. Jesus would just put up with anything. He didn't care about anything. He just showed all mercy all the time. That's why they picked up stones to stone him every time he turned around, right? 
No, because he went to the Pharisees and Sadducees and he said, here's what you need to do, repent. He went to the prostitutes and tax collectors and he said, you need to repent. And those who repented got shown mercy and those who didn't got the other side of mercy. We need to understand our theology. We need to understand what Habakkuk is going through right here. We need to understand where where, where he is in his mind. God promised that he was going to deliver Judah from the hands of the Babylonians. That came 70 years later. It came 70 years after. You see, we read earlier in chapter 2 that the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And that faith, That righteous faith creates a patient endurance. That's what Habakkuk is showing us. He's showing us that his faith will produce, his faith is producing an endurance, a faithful endurance. That if we stay, if we stand with God, if we have faith in God, that will express itself in a patient endurance. God will give us endurance to get through whatever, whatever comes our way. God will be there for us. Righteous, uh, righteousness, okay, uh, a righteous faith is more, my friends, than just hanging on for dear life. It's, you know, we say, oh, I'm going to have faith. I'm just going to hang on for dear life and whatever comes my way, and I'm not sure I can really make it. And it's, not just hanging, it's not just hanging on for dear life. It results in an unconditional thanksgiving to God and an unconditional love for God. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this. It says it really well. Consider it. Listen to the words he uses here. I'm going to read some of these passages throughout this sermon. I want you to listen to the words. Consider it what? Pure joy. Pure joy, my brother. What? Whenever you face trials of many kinds. What are you talking about? You know, if James came to preach in a church or Paul, he would clear out churches. You know, you, don't want, you, would, you wouldn't want James to come be your special speaker for about a month because if you had a church of 8,000, it would be about 1,000 when you were done. If you had a church of 800, you would be about 8 maybe when you were done. Um, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What is the ultimate purpose in your existence? It is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What helps you become more like Jesus Christ? Sometimes it's the trials of life. Sometimes it's the difficulty of life. Consider it pure joy. Now, man, it is so easy. It's not easy, but you know what I mean. It's easy to say here from the pulpit. It is really hard to do, isn't it? to consider it pure joy when I'm going through difficulties. You know, I, the cool thing about Habakkuk is Jonah didn't consider it pure joy. And look how he ended his life. Habakkuk didn't really consider it pure joy either for a while there, but he went through the process. But how does he, how does he ultimately come out in the end? How is the last chapter of his life written? It's right here. Faithful endurance. Habakkuk had that kind of faith. Look at what he says, and you've got to grasp this. Look what he says in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though if you're a farmer, just stick with me here. Think, if, you're, if, you're, if you're depending on this, look what it says. Though the olive crop fails, and the, and the fields produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. But then listen to what he says. Did he shake his fist at God and say, I'm I'm miserable enough to die? No, he doesn't do that. He says, yet, yet I will rejoice, rejoice. Consider it pure joy, 
my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. Habakkuk shows us what it means to have an eternal perspective. We keep talking about this, but you cannot get through the Christian life if you do not have an eternal perspective. You cannot get through the, you cannot make it through your life as a Christian and truly be conformed to the image of Jesus, become more like Jesus Christ, grow to the point where when you face trials, when you face difficulties, you can overcome them unless you have an eternal perspective. When you don't have an eternal perspective, you end up like Jonah. When you do have an eternal perspective, you end up like Habakkuk. He has an unconditional love and thanksgiving for God. Habakkuk can love God, and this is important theology too, because God loved him first. It isn't Habakkuk's love that's so great. It is God's love that is so great. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, in verses 7 and 8, it says this, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's, For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers. And it goes on, and I'll stop right there. God's love for his people is is really what makes it all happen. God's love for his people is not based upon how great they are. It's based upon how great he is. We can have that kind of faith, not just because of what he's done for us lately, but because of what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. We'll we'll talk more about this as we go on. Habakkuk understands understands all this, and he responds. He's he's moved to respond. He realizes that he can can safely put his trust in the grace of God. And not only for the survival of his nation, but for his own personal needs as well. His own, person, his, his own personal needs. You see, we're not just talking about the whole here. We, you know, we're talking about the nation of Judah. We're not talking about just God's people as a whole. Habakkuk goes beyond. He says, not only do I trust you with, with my nation, the survival of my nation, Lord, I trust you with my personal life. I'm going to make it real personal now. I'm going to bring it to me. Bring it down to me. I trust you with my very life, my very life. His God is in control. He's even in control of the food that he puts in his mouth. And Habakkuk says, I trust you with even that. I love, this is what I love here. I love this. We go back to, we go back to, to Jonah. Remember when, what, what happened with Jonah? God, God takes it away from saying something away from Jonah. Jonah gets in, in a situation where he puts himself in a situation where he gets on a ship and he's sailing in the wrong direction and he get, he's, he's drowning and he's going through all these things and, you know, and, and, and he gets frustrated and, and he gets overwhelmed and, and he gets, then he finally gets in the fish and he spits him up on land and then God gives him what? Remember that vine he gave to him? Hear, 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 hear me out here. Habakkuk says, if you take the very food from my plate, if there's no sheep in the pens, if there's no cattle in the stalls, if the grapes don't do anything, if the olives don't do it goes through this whole entire thing, if there's no crops in the fields, still I will praise you, God. I trust you with my whole heart. I will trust you. I have faith in you. God takes a vine that was giving Jonah shade away from him and he cries like a baby. He starts saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so angry. I, I just want to die. This is ridiculous. This is overwhelming. I cannot believe you took this away from me, God. This is such a temporal, my friends, view of life. 
I'm not happy. You're not giving me what I want, what I want right now. And I'm not happy about it. And I'm ticked and I'm going to shake my fist and I'm going to do all kinds. I'm just going to turn my back and I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop reading my Bible. I'm going to stop praying until you give me what I want. Or else just kill me. Why don't you just kill me? A temporal view. Rub your genie lamp. God's not coming out and granting your three wishes. He's not, some, he's not the superhuman sky fairy that kind of bring and gives you everything you want. And so therefore, you have this temporal view of life. I don't get what I want right now. You're not giving me what I want. Therefore, I'm going to turn my back. Therefore, I'm going to be angry. Now, Habakkuk wasn't thrilled that he wasn't getting what he wanted. But ultimately, again, we're talking about the end of the story. When you go through the process of frustration and not understanding and asking questions... Habakkuk ultimately comes back and and comes to God and says, God, I trust you. Habakkuk says, even if I don't have crops, even if I don't have food, I trust you. I have faith in you. Wow. I don't know what else to say. Wow. It's not like I don't live in the nicest house or I don't drive the nicest car or, you know, I don't have the nicest this or why can't I have that or why can't I go here or do if you take away the very food from my plate, I trust you. I love you. That, my friends, is an eternal perspective. I know it's difficult. I understand it's difficult. I know you're facing some trials right now and some difficulties in your life that is, they're just overwhelming. But Habakkuk is showing us how we overcome the difficulties of life by having an eternal perspective, by putting it in the larger scope of things, by understanding that God is in control of this life and the next. We are but a breath, my friends, but a mist here today and gone tomorrow. We are passing through. We are strangers and aliens in this land that we call the United States of America. This is not our true home. Our home is in heaven. We're just passing through. And Habakkuk says that. God, no matter what happens, I am going to trust you. This is so important for us to understand. Faith is not dependent on the things that God gives us. It's dependent on who he is. It's not what you give me, Lord. It's who you are. My faith is based upon who you are. Listen to Habakkuk's heart here. He says, it doesn't matter if you take away all of my earthly possessions, it doesn't, ta- it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you take away of all, 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 of, all, of my earthly, all my earthly comforts. If it be your will, Lord, take it all away. Take it all away. It doesn't matter to me if, it's that, if that's your will. I'm go- he said, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. I'm going to be thankful regardless of my circumstances. I read this and I'm like, this is, this is who I want to be like. Yeah, I can get frustrated sometimes. Yeah, I don't understand everything that goes on. Yeah, I sometimes, you know, stamp my feet like a little two-year-old spiritually. But at the end of the day, I've always come back and try to have this kind of attitude. And this is the attitude we should all have. I want to be like Habakkuk. I don't want to be like Jonah. I don't want to be like Jonah. And I think as I read through this, I thought to myself, man, I've heard this echoed somewhere else in the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, 
whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You can't steal something like that from me. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. Isn't that exactly what Habakkuk is saying? Lord God, it doesn't matter if the crops fail. If I have nothing to eat, I will not turn my back on you. I will trust you to the very end. And if it means I lose my life and spend eternity with you, then you know what? So be it, Lord. So be it. I trust you. I trust you. I know the end of the story. Habakkuk, thanks, his, thanksgiving will, his thanksgiving will be consistent. His thanksgiving will not be hollow. It will not be just some kind of contrived little thing we throw out. Oh, thank you, God, for this, and thank you, God, for that. It will, not, it will be consistent. Regardless of my circumstances, I will ever praise you. I will give you my praise. I will give you my life regardless of the circumstances, Lord. I give it all to you. I lay myself down at your cross. I trust you with my life. I know, my friends, as I'm saying this for some of you right now, this is so hard to hear. Not because you don't believe it. Not because you don't believe what I'm saying is true. Because you're in the middle of it. And Habakkuk, understand, let's go back again. This is not the end. He's right in the middle of it. He's, a matter of fact, he's right in the beginning of it. It's, it's, it's coming. He's anticipating what he knows is going to happen. He's with you. He understands you. He's only a man. Paul was only a man. They understand what you're feeling, what you're going through. Jesus Christ sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, anticipating having to go to the cross. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And his fully man side sweat blood knowing what he was going to have to endure. I'm not up here just pounding away saying you need to have more faith and you need to have an eternal perspective. What's wrong with you people? I know it's hard. But the alternative, turning your back on God. When things become difficult, people have a tendency to turn away from God. But in heaven's name to what? And Habakkuk says at the end of the day, Strip it all away from me. Strip everything away from me, but you will not deprive me of my relationship with God. If everything else is taken away, if the very food off my plate is gone, you strip me of everything I have. I will be naked sitting in a field with nothing to eat, but you will not take away, you will not deprive me of my relationship to God. Again, Paul said something like that too, didn't he? To live as Christ and to what? To die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't you want to be in that category where you can say that when you can walk around with your life and you can get up in the morning and there's nothing, they can't take away a job that would make you turn away from Christ. There's nothing they can do to you. There's nothing this world can do. You know how, you know how dangerous that is to be against an enemy who says it doesn't matter what you do to me. And I'm not talking about doing something terrible to other people. I'm talking about what's done to you. Nothing can be done to you to to, to curb your enthusiasm, your love and your compassion and your passion for Jesus Christ. Nothing can be done. No circumstances could come against you. Because I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Well-fed or hungry, living in plenty and want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me, who gives me the strength. So he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to live for Jesus regardless of my circumstances, whether I'm shipwrecked, which he was, whether he was beaten, 
right? Jailed. You, it goes on and on and on. Regardless of my circumstances, I will follow my Savior to the bitter end, to the very end of my life. And if you take my life, thank you very much, because now I get to be home with him. This is not my home. And if you take my life, I get to go home. I get to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, you know, Habakkuk wants there to be absolutely no doubt that his praise and his his thanks to God will be unconditional, completely independent of his external circumstances. He wants that to be perfectly clear. Nothing that can be done to him on this earth will change his view of God. Nothing will change his love and his thankfulness to God. Again, contrast that with Jonah and many of us. Contrast that attitude. This is the last chapter of his life. Pretty much not the last chapter, but this is the last chapter of the book when he talks about what Habakkuk's response was. I want the last chapter of my life to read like this. You've got you to ask yourself, where, where do you stand? See, because here's the deal. When Jonah was drowning inside the belly of the fish, he did, he said exactly what Habakkuk said, pretty much. He cried out to God just like Habakkuk. He said, you know, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Right? He said the same thing. But as soon as God bails him out, he goes right back to his old self. How many of us do the exact same thing? We, we find out, we got, we found, oh, we got a little lump here, or we got something going on there, my stomach, whatever else, or something's happening with someone in the family. All of a sudden, man, we come to God, we uh, sincerely, we, we go to God, we say, God, help me, God, you were praying every day, we're reading our Bibles, we're doing whatever it is for God to then respond and do what we're asking him to do, and then he does it, and we, we're, we're, we're freed from whatever calamity came upon us, or whatever frustration we were dealing with, and then what happens? As soon as God does that within a couple months or whatever else we kind of forget about it and all of a sudden we go back to the same old same old we go back to who we were before this or the, the, the people that we were before who are you are you jonah or habakkuk and let me encourage you no matter where you are right now it doesn't matter where you start it matters where you finish don't let your life end up like jonah's don't end up don't end up like jonah don't be don't be like him there's one other thing here. There's also a real contrast between what Habakkuk's saying here, Habakkuk's attitude, and what some will teach theologically in our culture right now. You know, some people teach the idea, teach an idea that robs us of our, of our ability to praise and thank God in all circumstances. They, they basically tell us that if God hasn't blessed us monetarily, or that somehow if you're sick right now, then your faith is weak, Right? or you're missing something. See, if you just did this, if you just did that, because you're not wealthy and because you're not healthy, there's something wrong with your faith. It's your lack of faith in some, in some way. And if you'd only, so you're missing something or you have a, you have a weak faith, my my faith, my friend, that is not true. That's a lie. That, that is, that is just a lie. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can have contentment in your life whether you have health or wealth or not. Here's a theology for you. The person I'm supposed to be following, the person I'm supposed to become most like, the person, you know, if you don't suffer with me, you won't reign with me, died naked, hanging on a cross. 
Don't ever, don't ever, when someone's going through something difficult in their lives physically, don't ever, don't ever attack their faith. Don't ever attack their faith. If you need to repent of something, yes, you need to repent. Sometimes you need to repent, but my goodness, we need to be careful. Two of the most incredibly godly men I've ever been a part of in my entire life were, were struck with cancer. Both of them said, well, if it be God's will, I'm completely content. Whatever God chooses to do, they had more faith than I will probably ever have. And guess what? They both died. It has nothing to do. Many times it has nothing to do with that. Don't let people give you strange theologies and say you're missing something if you're not healthy or wealthy or whatever else. I, 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 deep, we can have a deep, intimate fellowship with God. We can rejoice in him. And we can have that deep, intimate fellowship with God because it's not based upon what God is doing for me right now. It's not based upon my circumstances right now and the here and now. The New Testament backs up what Habakkuk says in Romans chapter 5. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Wait, wait a second. Let me, let's read that again. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love unto our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. What an amazing, what an absolutely amazing example and testimony for anyone here this morning who's going through some difficulty in their lives. What an amazing testimony for anyone who's going through some of the trials of life that God is with you that you can overcome, that you can turn, that God is going to bring beauty out of the ashes. What you're going through right now has a purpose. God can use it, whether you brought it on yourself, whether the evil one brought it on you, or whether God is trying to get your attention, any of those. God can use that to turn your life around, to help you become more like Jesus Christ, to build that perseverance, to build that kind of faith that has that faithful endurance that can overcome anything in their lives. Whether you're, whether you're younger or older here, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're facing, God can give you the strength to overcome it. God can take the worst of circumstances you're going through right now, and if you just let him, if you allow him, if you have that eternal perspective and say, God, show me how you're going to use this. Let me see as time goes on how you're going to take this difficulty and turn it into something beautiful. Allow God to do that in your life. And if you allow him to do that in your life, it's only going to strengthen the foundation of who you are and you say to yourself i'm going to close here with this you say well you know habakkuk is is prophet that you know i'm not a prophet and you know you use paul and paul's just amazing you know shipwrecked and all this kind of thing that's not me well you know these are just men i said that before have you ever heard of horatio spofford horatio spofford is the man who wrote it is well with my soul and I knew a little bit about his background, the loss of what he went through, but I never knew the depth of it until really this week I started reading even more. Ratio basically lived in Chicago. He and his wife had a son, and their young son died. What, it was a tragedy. It was, it was overwhelming for them. And right on top of that, remember the Chicago fires? Chicago fires basically wiped out most of his wealth because he had real estate. It was all burned to the ground. So he lost much of his wealth. So he says to his wife and his four daughters, you know, you guys need a break. You need just to get, get away from here. And he sends them on a ship to England. 
where they can get a break. And on their way to England, another ship runs into their ship, sinks their ship. He loses four, all four of his daughters, only his wife survives. He's sailing past the spot where his daughters were killed. And he writes that song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He is only a man. That hymn, it is well, that we sing, we sing sometimes here. You've sung it before. And you're, you're moved by that. You, you don't understand the person who wrote it. The person who wrote it wasn't like sitting in Chicago, sipping on his tea and with his family all around him. He wrote that when he, when he went past the place where he lost his four children, already losing his son and losing all of his wealth. He's only a man. But we remember him for being a man of God, a man of faithful endurance, a man of incredible, incredible faith. His story is written. Our stories are not yet completely written. Please, let us not be like Jonah, who shakes our fist at God at the end of our lives or during these times and basically stays with that attitude. You know, Lord, I'm so angry I could die, he says, because you took this away, because you didn't give me what I wanted. Let us be like Habakkuk, who says, take the very food from my plate, Lord, and I will trust and love you with all of my heart. I'm not making light of what you're going through, guys. I'm really not. I'm just saying this is the kind of life that we have to live as followers of Jesus Christ. He will bring beauty out of the ashes. He will turn our, 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 our sorrow into joy. If not at the end of this life, then in the next. But God is in control of all things and he has a place for you and he has a plan for you. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to go through the, the, the book of Jonah and the book of Habakkuk and, and, and ask, Lord, how do we make it through when life is not going our way? And God, we've learned this morning how to do that, to put our trust and our faith in you regardless of our present or future, future circumstances, that we would love you with our whole heart, that we would give you our praise and our thanks, knowing, Lord, the end of the story, that you are a God who's in control of all things and that you will bring good in our lives. You will bring good things through us if we trust you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the life you've given to us and thank you for eternal life, which we will all share with you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Hopefully see you back here tonight.